that we're going to start down the road of discussing the gifts, if they're for today or were they for yesterday. There's two positions on this that can be generally broken into various sub-positions. One position is called cessationism, and that is the position that the gifts have ceased. And when we speak of the gifts, it's referring to apostolic gifts, the supernatural gifts, continuing revelation of healing of miraculous nature. Uh, The cessationist can be a hard cessationist or a soft cessationist, and there's a slight nuance of difference in it. And then there's a continuationist position, and the continuationist position is that all of the apostolic gifts are today still functioning just as they were for the apostles. So in other words, there's still people that can... um, depending on how they view it, could still speak in tongues, known languages, or they would believe in an angelic language. They would believe that healing takes place through people with the gift of healing. That would be the continuationist position. And there's several different variations of that, and I don't want to plant a broad stroke and say all continuationists believe this. There's some very well-known continuationist, Wayne Grudem, who wrote a very influential systematic theology as a continuationist. John Piper is a continuationist. Um, and uh, they're, they're not the type of continuationist that runs around speaking um, babble and running around in the church with flags or something like that. They're not of that sort. Um, but nonetheless, they, they hold to a continuationist uh, view. The, the movement that we're at today is incredibly influential. And the reason we're even going through this is when I was in Uganda last year, I asked the pastors, what's your pr- most pressing theological need? And they said, we want to know how to deal with charismatic theology. And, uh, you know, this is a place where you have Muslims and they'll attack you that are terrorists. I mean, and their most pressing need was not that. Their most pressing need was, how do we deal with charismatic theology? The charismatic theology today is a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, Conrad Medwebe, uh, who is an African pastor, recently said, that Africa, the continent of Africa, is poised to be the greatest continent for sending missionaries in the world that the world's ever seen. And here's the reality, is the missionaries that will be sent from Africa will largely be charismatic. So what is now a massive movement started off relatively small? It came in three waves in the early 1900s, the Pentecostal movement, the second wave, then moved into what was called the charismatic movement in about the 1960s. And then in the 1980s, you had what became the third wave of charismatic theology. And that was where you saw it opened up no longer to uh, corners of, of small churches, but it actually became a worldwide accepted phenomenon. And I've even seen this in my own life in the Southern Baptist Convention, where in the Southern Baptist Convention, you would have been hard-pressed maybe 30 years ago to find someone that was a continuationist. 
Uh, but now you're almost hard pressed to find someone that's a cessationist. So there, there's definitely that third wave, which they, they identify as, as the most influential. So as soon as you say and take on a label, I'm a continuationist or I'm a cessationist, that label comes with a lot of baggage. And we know that labels come with baggage, right? But nonetheless, labels are helpful. And so as I, as I go to talk about this, I'm coming from this uh, perspective of a hard cessationist. Um, but that doesn't mean what I'm going to teach here is agreed in exactly every single detail as every other cessationist. Um, and so even though I'm going to start from that presupposition of cessationism, uh, we also want to recognize that many people believe different things about this thing uh, about these. One of the first accusations that I have heard, if you if you claim to be a cessationist, someone will say this: "Well, you must not believe in the Holy Spirit." In fact, uh, I, I've been told by certain charismatic groups that you your your view of the Trinity is Jesus, the Father, and the Bible. And, and that's the claim that many will say. Well, th- nothing could be further from the truth than what a cessationist actually believes. And so what I want to do tonight is just give a positive statement of what the cessationist position believes in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is not, this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a list nonetheless that, that does tell us that the work of the Holy Spirit is essential, and you cannot divide the work of the triune God. They're inseparable. And so the first thing is we see the supernatural work of the Spirit in regeneration. And what that means is that to be born again is a work that the Spirit does on the human heart. You see this so many places in the New Testament, and most famously in John chapter 3. And let me read this. Beginning in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Now, in your your Bibles, you probably have Spirit. They're capitalized. This is to be born of the Spirit. He goes on, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So unless the supernatural work of regeneration, which is a work of the Spirit, happens, you cannot be saved. He goes on, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so the very first thing that we see that a cessationist has to believe is the very work of the Spirit in regenerating a person. In fact, apart from that work, no one's saved. Why is it that you professed faith? Well, faith is a gift of God, and why did you profess faith? You went from hating Christ to now loving Christ. It's because of a work of the Spirit took place in your life so that you would be born again. And it is entirely a work of the Spirit because you cannot birth yourself. That's Jesus' whole point in this. And it actually begins with the work of the Spirit in the human heart. 
It begins in a conviction of sin and an awareness of sin that is also a work of the Spirit. Jesus says this of the Spirit in John 16, 8, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so when we think about this idea of regeneration, we have to give credit to the Holy Spirit as the one who works this in our hearts. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. When you look at the Old Testament and you see the idea of circumcision of the heart, that's the Old Testament concept of regeneration, because God would say, go circumcise your heart. Well, the problem is you can't do that. It was a work, a supernatural work of the Spirit that must take place. And Paul writes to Titus these familiar words of being born again. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so what we recognize is the very act of salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. And that idea, you must be born again, and I mentioned this before, is this, is that idea of being born again is to be born from above. Everything about what Jesus describes in John 3, it puts forth this mysterious working of God that is beyond our comprehension. That is a supernatural work. So, would a cessationist believe in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit for the present day? Yes. Not only that, but we recognize this, is that our salvation is kept by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13, in Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so our salvation is the seal. It's the guarantee. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of that new birth that takes place at the moment of salvation. And not only that, we recognize that the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And so the first thing that we want to positively say with no uncertain terms and no hesitation is we believe in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in, in regeneration. We believe in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in keeping us in that state. And we believe in this supernatural work that the, the triune God dwells with His people by His Spirit. So can you say that, well, I, I don't agree with the apostolic gifts continuing today, but I most certainly believe in the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, absolutely. In fact, we recognize that our growth, and this would be the second thing that we recognize as a positive statement of the work of the Holy Spirit, is the work of sanctification. Very plainly in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, and again, the Spirit is capitalized. You 
know, you can see the word spirit in the text, and it doesn't always mean the Holy Spirit. It can refer to the human spirit. But this is a work of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the believer, if the believer that is walking by the Spirit, as Paul had previously said, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. So that working of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is sanctifying them to produce fruit that would resemble the life of Christ. Now, this is incredibly important that we recognize the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives too. Why is it that there are times we want to respond to life situations in a way that's not Christ-like, but we don't? Why does that happen? Well, the, the Spirit's working in you. The Word, the Spirit is transforming you to bear fruit so that you look more like the image of Christ. So we believe in that ongoing work of the Spirit, which is absolutely essential. Apart from the work of the Spirit and the ongoing work of the Spirit in your life, you will not bear fruit. It's very interesting is that often there is a greater priority in the Christian's life that they have some sort of supernatural experience rather than seeing the supernatural growth of holiness taking place in their life. You think about that. What is it that I would desire in my life? Do I want to have some sort of supernatural experience that is ecstatic and, and I can't be explained? Or would I rather be growing in holiness by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit? And it, it's fascinating to me that so often there's that emphasis on that the, the, these experiences rather than just simply growing in holiness, the very thing that, that Christ commands us to do. And so we have to recognize this, and, and this, is, this is a point that, that if, if you were in the cessationist camp, that you have to really be clear about a Holy Spirit-filled life will be a life that resembles and reflects the person of Jesus Christ. And we want to desire that. We are called to walk by the Spirit, and we are told what the fruit of the Spirit is. And so our prayer ought to be that the Spirit would be working in our lives. There's a, there's a third aspect of the thing that we want to see positively in terms of the work of the Spirit, and that's the work of conviction. We, <coughs> excuse me, we already read in John 16, 8, of that work of the Spirit in conviction. But Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verses 7 through 8, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. <coughs> Excuse me. The Holy Spirit dwells in you so that you will not, the Holy Spirit will not allow sin to go unchecked 
in your life. That word, thank you, that word disregard there means to nullify, it means to reject, it means to ignore that very work that God is doing in your life through the Holy Spirit. It's to thwart the work of God. So you think about this, when you are convicted of sin, where does that conviction come from? Well, that conviction comes from the Spirit working in you. Thank you. So we want to recognize that not only bearing fruit in us, that's a positive statement of the work of God in our lives, but then there's also this idea that when I'm not bearing fruit, and I'm actually seeing the works of the flesh taking place in my life, that that is, and I become convicted of that, where does that conviction come from? That conviction comes from the Holy Spirit of God. We see we're born again, we're sanctified, we have conviction, but there's guidance from the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, in verse 13, we read this. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, this was spoken to the apostles. Christ is about ready... Uh, Christ is about ready to go to the cross. He's going to be crucified. He's told the, he's told the apostles, don't fear. If I go, I'm going to come back. I'm going to send the Spirit to you. Now, Jesus has been walking with them and teaching them. And he actually says, when the Spirit comes, he's going to be the one that guides you. But the Spirit's going to guide them in a way that Jesus did not. And this is what's remarkable about the work of the Spirit. Jesus would go pray and the, the disciples would say, where's Jesus at? Well, he wasn't with them 24-7. And what he's saying, something greater, the very Spirit of God, is going to come to you. And now what we want to understand is this verse... When the Spirit of truth comes to you, He will guide you into all truth. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. That's a promise to the apostles. And we have to be clear about that. This isn't speaking to all believers that they are going to receive new revelation of the future. This was spoken to the apostles who wrote it down and when they wrote it down, it means that we had access to that knowledge that they were given. And we have to think about the implications of this. Does the Holy Spirit still guide us today? And I want you to hang on that question. Does the Holy Spirit still guide us today in a way that's even unexplainable? Notice what Jesus says. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you. And He will guide you into all truth. We have, as Christians, only one objective source of truth. 
What is that objective source of truth? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. So if I woke up after a dream that was particularly impactful to me, and I said, I think that's the Holy Spirit communicating something to me. What are the objective grounds by which I can claim that is absolute truth? I don't have any. So when we see this guidance of the Holy Spirit that we're promised, is that true for us? Yes. But it's what's written down in the Bible, which is the only objective source of truth. And so if the Holy Spirit guides us today, it must be in the truth. And it must be pointing us always to Christ and the preserved truth that we have any source of guidance apart from the Scripture is subjective. It's subjective at best, and at worst, it's wrong. So does the Holy Spirit guide us? Yes. Holy Spirit guides us through the Word. One theologian said, we have no Holy Spirit apart from the Word and no Word apart from the Holy Spirit. Calvin said something very similar to that. And so to desire a Spirit-filled life, one cannot forsake the Word of God. They're essentially working together, that the Spirit is actually working through that Word. So as we applied this to this idea of growth in holiness, if I want to grow and have a better understanding and guidance from the Holy Spirit in my life, then what it is is not waiting for some ecstatic experience or to get some sort of goosebump experience, but rather is to dive into the Word of God where we have the mind of the Spirit given to us. Not only do we have guidance, but the Holy Spirit teaches us. In fact, we cannot learn apart from the work of the Spirit in teaching us. In John chapter 14, in verse 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, this is, again, related directly to the Scriptures. Because the, the, the apostles did not write the, the gospel accounts right after Jesus died and rose again. And the earliest mark, maybe in the late 40s, so maybe a, 10 years. And it was through a lot of the preaching of Peter. How did he remember that? How did John in his old age, write the Gospel of John? How did Luke, who was an investigator, how did he get to all the right truths concerning in Jesus because he was writing as a historian, going back and interviewing, probably interviewing Mary and the others that were alive during the time? How is it that they, they were able to gather this information and compile it into th this book that would be actually infallible. What was the work of the Spirit? And so the, the, the Holy Spirit 
taught them and brought to mind the teaching of Jesus and the account of Jesus. In fact, this is exactly what Peter says happens. Peter says this in first in second Peter, excuse me, verse 21 of chapter 1, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So does that mean the Holy Spirit doesn't teach us today? And it was just for the apostles? No, the Holy Spirit teaches us today. And if you read many of the confessions of faith, they make this explicit. That we cannot understand the Scripture apart from the Spirit of God working in us. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 2, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So there's a, there's a direct correlation to your understanding of the Scripture to the Spirit's work in your life. But I, I hate to break it to you. You can't put this under your pillow and sleep on it and say, Holy Spirit, impart knowledge to my head. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Holy Spirit's going to work through ordinary means ordinarily. Sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. Sitting in Sunday school. Reading the Word regularly for ourselves. Going to Bible studies. The Holy Spirit is going to be working through those means to us. So, how does this apply to us today? The Spirit works and teaches us through the Word. So not only does the Holy Spirit guide us in life, but also the Holy Spirit teaches us. There's also another ongoing work of the Spirit we have to recognize. Back in John, if you haven't noticed, John is the most thorough um, book in the Bible on the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, in verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, this word helper can also be comforter. And what's interesting about this is the word another. And it's another of the same type or another of the same kind. And you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to turn there, but just to kind of illustrate this, in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 1, we see this is that, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That word advocate is that same word. We, we have the English transliteration of that Greek word paraclete. We refer to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete. And the word another is 
means another of the same kind, that we have another of the same kind. So the comfort that Jesus brought the disciples when Jesus is about to leave, he says that I am going to send another of the same kind. I'm going to send the Spirit who will be a comforter. We see an advocate in 1 John. Jesus is called that paraclete, that advocate. Um, and so it's that same word. It's debated of how, how we should understand. Is it a helper? Is it a comforter? Is it an advocate? Is it one that, that kind of functions as a, a lawyer on my behalf? And, and the answer is yes to, to all of those. We should, we should understand that in the fullness of, in the fullest sense that we possibly can. So the comfort that the disciples received from the Lord Jesus Christ, he promises that they will receive from the Spirit. Have you ever been comforted in an unexplainable way during a difficult time? It's the work of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit taking place in our lives. This is for our benefit. This is for our help that the Spirit is in our lives. Jesus said in chapter 16 and verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So as much as we would like to have Jesus sitting on the pew with us, to comfort us and give us words of wisdom. Jesus himself says, it's better that I send you the Spirit than if I were to be physically sitting here with you. That's the comfort we have. That's the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives today is that comfort from the Comforter. The apostles experienced great comfort with Jesus you can think of all of the times where Jesus was there to help them through difficult times. And so what we see here is in this context, the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit will provide the same reality. Not only this, the work of the Spirit, an ongoing work of the Spirit, is to glorify Christ. And I think that as we think about the differences between a cessationist position and a continuationist position, this is probably the most important point. Because oftentimes, what's elevated in charismatic churches is not Christ, but the Spirit. But we actually see Jesus says explicitly, the work of the Spirit is not to exalt the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to exalt Christ. This is why we pray at the beginning of our services that Christ would be exalted. That's an invitation in some sense, and I don't mean it in the Pentecostal sense of inviting the Spirit, but that's an invitation to say, Spirit, would you work in us that we would exalt Christ? Because the tangible proof that the Spirit's working in a church is not the Spirit doing things to us that are ecstatic and having experiences, but rather that Christ is exalted. Just simply us singing songs to Christ and, and walking out more transformed into the image of Christ is the work of the Spirit. 
glorifying and exalting Christ. So Jesus says, He will glorify me. It's a future active indicative. It's something that will happen. The Spirit will glorify Christ. That is the promise of Jesus of a work of the Holy Spirit that is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit is that Christ by the Holy Spirit will be glorified. And so how? How do you know if the Holy Spirit is working in your own life? What does a Holy Spirit-filled life look like? What does a Holy Spirit-filled church look like? It's one that's exalting Christ. And the means by which the Holy Spirit does this is stated when Jesus says, For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the first revelation of the person and work of Jesus. And in verse 15, he says this, All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the unfolding of revelation from the Father through the Spirit to the church. And so a Holy Spirit-filled person isn't one that does a bunch of things to draw attention to themselves and is centered in on themselves, but a Holy Spirit-filled person is one that's exalting Christ. Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 22, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that, that's the purpose, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. How do we honor the Son as we honor the Father? By a work of the, the Spirit in our lives. And so this ongoing work of the Spirit is so that for the purpose that Christ would be glorified through us. There's another one, and that is the common grace work of the Spirit. What is the common grace work of the Spirit? Well, it's things like this that all of the world experiences. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that it exist have been instituted by God. You think of this work of the Spirit in the life of all people. 2.15 of Romans, they show us that the work of the law is written on our hearts while their conscience and bears witness and conflicting thoughts accuse or even accuse them. This is that God's common grace that is upon all people. In Psalm 145, we reading of this common grace. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. And there's a final aspect of the work of the Spirit. And that is this, is the preaching of the Word of God is ineffective apart from the work of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul wrote, And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so for preaching to be effective, 
It's not dependent upon the greatness of a preacher. It's dependent upon the work of the Spirit through the preacher and working in the hearts of the hearer. That's the only way preaching can ever be effective. Charles Spurgeon had a staircase that he would climb up to to get into his pulpit, and it was said that he would take every step because he was nervous to preach. He would take with every step, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so do we, I say we, do cessationists believe in the continuing supernatural work of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely we believe that. Do we believe in the continuing of the apostolic gifts today? No. And that's what we will look at next time, is looking at those gifts specifically. What, what have ceased? What remains? And then, finally, we will look at the history of this movement as well. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Spirit working in us even now to glorify Christ, to sanctify us to the image of Christ. Father, you have called for your people to be holy. You have called your church to be holy. And we are holy, set apart by Christ. But may we always live that because of the work of your Spirit in our lives. We pray that your Spirit would be upon us to guide us and direct us and to fill us with fruit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.